for the second week of our series, Starting Point. And last week we talked about everything has a starting point. You had a starting point and we're so glad. Whether your parents meant for you to be started or not, you're here and so we celebrate that fact. We found out last week that approximately half of our congregation um, grew up in the church and that if you were to dig a little bit deeper, you would find out that probably half of that half walked away from the church at some point in their lives. Something happened and those things that they had been taught when they were a kid just didn't seem that important anymore. They weren't mad at God. They weren't necessarily mad at the church, although some of them were mad at the church. They just kind of drifted away. Uh, so we decided we we're going to ask this question. What would it look like if people were to push the reset button and restart their faith when they're adults? We discovered that thousands and thousands of people came to Christ long before the Bible was ever written down. Uh, so within the 15 to 20 years before the first book of the New Testament was even written, all these people were coming to Christ. And it wasn't because of something that was written in the Bible. And I believe every word that's written in this Bible. But they came to faith in Christ not because they read it. It was because of something that happened. Do you know what happened? Maybe I should say, do you know who happened? It was Jesus Christ. And so you have to wrestle with this thing, this, this idea of Jesus. And we said that, that, that all of these people came to Christ not because the Bible says they didn't have a Bible. So if they came to Christ, how did they come to Christ? Well, their starting point has to be the same place as our starting point. They had to wrestle with this question. Here it is. This is how we finished last week. Who is Jesus? You figure that out, you'll figure out the rest of your life. You'll figure out the rest of your afterlife. Now we're going to come back to that question in a few weeks and, and answer it. But today we're going we're gonna to talk about the next important concept that you're going to have to figure out if you're going to start over. You're going to push that restart button. You think about Jesus and then the next thing you got to think about is this very important word called sin. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this word, but let's admit this is not an everyday word, right? We don't use this all the time. You don't tell your children, honey, you have sinned against thy mother. You must go make a sacrifice in order to cover your sins and make it right. We don't say that, right? We use this almost exclusively in our relationship with God. We don't use it in business. Thou hast sinned against thy boss and you must come make atonement for your sin. We don't say that. You get pulled over by a police officer. He doesn't give you a sin citation. He doesn't say, you sinned against the local governing authorities and now you must pay. Right? Maybe he should say that, but that's not what he says. He gives you some citation. This word is very theological. The reason it's not an everyday word is because it's too heavy. When we say this, it's like putting an exclamation point at the end of the sentence, which means I'm done, I'm guilty, there's no hope for me, I'm a sinner. So we don't like that. It doesn't leave us any wiggle room. Another reason we don't like this word is because it doesn't leave us any room to blame others. But you see, my grandfather did this and then my father did this and that's the way I am. They blame everyone else for their sin. It's not my fault, it's someone else's fault that I sinned. Now, this word isn't, isn't very common, but there is a very common, very popular word that we like to use in place of sin. That word is mistake. Oh, we prefer this word. Sin, that's so condemning. Mistake, oh, you know. Sin leaves me on the outs with God and, and it leaves me on the outs with other people, but, but sin, uh, mistake, oh yes, yes. I'll take mistakes for 200, please. And you've seen this a thousand times on the news. Some, some politician or local authority will stand before eight microphones and they have blown up their family and they'll say with this rather grim face, I made a mistake. They blew up their family, they blew up their job, they blew up their reputation, maybe even the city that they represent, and they'll say, I've made some mistakes. And that's usually followed with, but nobody's perfect. 
right? And we would agree with that part. Nobody's perfect, but come on, homeboy, what you did, that wasn't a mistake. That was on purpose. Here's the interesting point. Um, a mistake is something you make on a math test. You put the decimal in the wrong place. You add incorrectly. You su- subtract incorrectly. A mistake is that you misste- misspell somebody's name. A mistake is turning down a road too soon. You thought the GPS said it was there. You turned too soon. That's a mistake. A mistake is leaving your gun in your backpack or losing your passport on the way to Haiti. Those are mistakes. Can we get over it? Those are mistakes. What you did, that was not a mistake. See, the term mistake dumbs down what we did. So let me just do an experiment real quickly. How many of you would say, I've made some mistakes in my life? Come on, come on. We can't play this game if everybody doesn't play. All right, we can't go. You'd say, I've made some mistakes. And if we were to take some time and I'd say, would you share some mistakes with us? Because this is what happens. You get around a campfire, you go on a mission trip. I was hanging out with George and we just spent all this time before we were putting on a roof talking about all the mistakes. Well, that's nothing you should have seen when I did this. And we just tell stories. We laugh at mistakes. That's funny. And would anybody in here argue that, that we all make mistakes? Would anybody argue that, that, that someone in here is perfect? We'd all agree we're all, we all make mistakes. Okay, we all agree with that. But what if I started my sermon with today? How many of you are sinners? How many of you committed sin this week? How many of you committed sin on the way to church today? How many of you are committing sin right now with what you're thinking about? Stand up and tell us about your sin. Who's going to raise your hand? The front row is going to go, is anybody behind us? Is this a trick question? I don't know if I want to raise my hand. Right? Because if I say, tell us your sins, you're like, that's none of your business. That's too heavy. Tell us a joke. Tell us your mistakes. We like listening to your mistakes, preacher. But don't go, don't go with sins. That, no, we want a feel-good sermon. And let me just tell you as, as, as humbly as I can, if you want a feel-good sermon, this is the wrong sermon. And this is the wrong church. Because we are going to tell you exactly what the Bible says. We're not going to hold any punches. We're just going to tell you. We're not going to condemn you, but we're going to tell you what the Bible says. So let's talk about this mistake word. Mistake means I know better. I didn't know better. I'm sorry. Mistake means I didn't know better. I had insufficient knowledge. Nobody told me. I didn't know that's where this led. I didn't know that going down this pathway would lead to a broken marriage or adultery, even though everybody else in the history of the world who's gone down that road ended up in adultery or with a broken marriage. I didn't know. I had insufficient knowledge. You can't hold it against me. It was just a simple mistake. Isn't it true? You've used the term. I've used the term mistake for something that was way deeper It wasn't that you didn't know enough, you didn't know any better, you knew exactly what you were doing. Not only that, you're planning to do it again. See, (laughs) when somebody gets on television and confesses some four-year-long mistake, is it even plausible to make the same mistake for four years and then after you get caught just to stand up and go, I made a mistake repeatedly. It's bigger than a mistake. Isn't it true sometimes we plan our mistakes? I know people who bought plane tickets with the sole purpose of committing a mistake. It wasn't that you fell into temptation. You put it on the calendar. You planned it. And like the enemy of God is going, dude, we didn't even have to set a trap for this guy. He sets his own traps. This is so easy. These people are stupid. Then they're going to call it a mistake. And some of you have a stash of mistakes hidden at your house right now. Some of you already, already planned your next mistake. What do you call that? 
That can't be a mistake. It's got to be something deeper. A premeditated mistake? <laughs> Can there be such a thing? Well, I can't help it. I'm, I'm just a serial mistaker. No, it's worse than that. And here's how I know why. Here's how I know that it's more than a mistake. What do you do with a mistake? If you make a mistake, it starts with a C. How do you fix a mistake? You correct it. You can correct a mistake. I turned left when I should have turned right. Or I turned left too soon. That's a mistake. I can correct that. It doesn't cost me too much time. But what do you do with a sin? How do, how do you fix a sin? You can't fix it. You can't erase it and go back and, and redo it, have, an, have a do-over. You see, when we, when we talk about sin instead of mistake, we get to the root of the problem. And here's the real problem. You can't correct you. And you are the problem. Let me tell you how I know this. You've had a really hard time correcting you, haven't you? See, if you're serious about starting over, coming back to a new start in your faith, you're going to have to wrestle with who is Jesus. You're going to have to wrestle with sin. You're going to have to wrestle with this question. Why am I not able to do what I know I should do? Or another way to say is, how come I can't fix me? Because you've tried to fix you. Your wife has tried to correct you. Your husband's tried to correct you. You've tried to correct your kids and they keep doing the same thing over and over and over. Some of you have blown up marriages because you're uncorrectable. Some of you have blown up a job because you're uncorrectable. Some of you have a whole lot of debt because you knew exactly what it was going to do when you were making those purchases and you did it anyway. That's not a mistake. It's way deeper than a mistake. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? And then I'm not done. What is it when we're, when we're doing well? We're doing really well. So like, I'm going to quit drinking so much. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm not going to not go there. I'm not going to hang out with this person. Whatever it is that, that hurts your family, that hurts your future, that, that hurts your finances, whatever that is, for seven days in a row, I'm not going to do that. Whatever, I'm going to be whatever free for the next seven days. And for seven days, you do it. And you think, man, I haven't even ordered one thing from Amazon for seven days. Yay me! You're doing good. And then seven, eight, nine days in, you think, well, I hadn't had a drink for nine days. I haven't been to that website for, for nine days. I haven't been with that person. I haven't done this for nine days. And then you're self-correcting. And while you're self-correcting, there's this thought, man, sometimes I, want, I just want to be incorrect. Isn't it true? Well, you're being good. Sometimes you want to be bad. What's that? Maybe it's time to admit that it's not mistakes we're making. It's sin. We're sinner. So let's define it. A sinner is someone who knows better, does it anyway. See, so we said last week, you got you to come up with, you got to answer the question, who is Jesus? And then you, then you really need to figure out what did Jesus have to say about sin? And when Jesus talked about sin, it always was in relationship. And here's what he said. Jesus said, sin separates. It separates you from God and it separates you from other people, separate you from the people against whom you've sinned. If you've ever broken a relationship, you did something wrong or they did something wrong or maybe both of you did something wrong and you broke the relationship. 
You did, you did something you knew you shouldn't do. You did it anyway, broke the relationship. And here's how the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said it. Isaiah is one of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 59, 2, he says this. But your iniquities have separated you from God. I highlighted a couple of words there, iniquities and separated. And I wanted to be very accurate with iniquity, so I looked it up. What is an iniquity? Here's the, the definition. An iniquity is a conscious decision that I'm going to hurt someone else. It's not a mistake. I made a decision. I'm going to hurt someone or... I'm going to rebel against God. It's not a mistake. Your conscious decision to hurt someone or rebel against God has separated you from God. And then look what, he doesn't call it a mistake. Oh, your sins, nope, your, he doesn't say your mistakes. He says your sins have hidden his face from you. In the Old Testament, the absolute worst thing that could happen to a Jew was for God to turn his face from them. There's, there's a blessing and it says, may God um, give you grace and may, his, may he cause his face to shine upon you. If you've ever seen my grandson run in or you see grandparents when their grandchildren come in, their face shines most of the time. Their face shines. That's what it means. You want God's face to shine. He's looking at you. He's pleased with you. He's proud of you. You want his face to shine on you. You never want to hear the words, God has turned his face from you because it means your sins, your iniquity, your conscious decisions to hurt someone or rebel against God has separated you from your God. There is separation. Now, into this world of mistakers, see all the religious leaders, you're not that bad. Just follow a few rules and you can be right with God. They wanted to be mistakers because mistakers aren't, it's not so serious. It's into a world of mistakers that Jesus came and he said two things that should not, it seems like on the surface, they shouldn't come out of the same mouth. The first thing he said is, hey, gang, you're doomed. You're all going to hell. You're doomed. He pushed the bar way up high. He said, you thought you were, weren't that bad? Oh, no, 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 you're much worse than you thought. You can't per- possibly earn God's favor. Newsflash, everybody's doomed. Everybody's going to hell. And by, number two, oh, by the way, God loves doomed people. God loves hellbound sinners. The people are like, wait, 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 we're confused. Either I'm doomed or God loves me, which is it? And Jesus goes, both. You're so much worse than you thought you were. And God loves you so much more than you thought he did. See, those religious people that wanted to be mistakers, they hated Jesus because he told the truth and they didn't want to admit it. But the people who said, yep, I'm a sinner. He's right, I'm a sinner. They loved to be around Jesus because there was no condemnation there. Jesus says, we have to talk about sin because you need to understand you're doomed and only doomed people will ever admit they're doomed and ever accept what they need. Doomed people radically need a savior. It's the number one thing you need if you're doomed. So Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount, the very first sermon he ever preaches. And he says, okay, let let me tell you about this. And he's gonna raise the bar. He says, you've heard that it said, do not commit murder. And they're like, oh, I'm no murderer. And he says, if you hate someone, then you're in danger of judgment. And they went, if that's true, we're doomed. And then he says, you've heard that it said that you should not commit adultery. And they're like, oh, I've not committed adultery. And he said, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And they're like, oh no, we're doomed. We're going to hell. And he says, if you ever divorce someone, and they're like, many of us have divorced. We're doomed. 
And then he says, don't make promises. Don't go, I swear or I promise. What they would do is they say, I swear I will do this on the, on the temple or on the, on the seat, the mercy seat of the temple. And he says, don't do that. Say yes when you mean yes. Say no when you mean no. If you've ever said yes and not done it, if you've ever said, no, I'm not going to do it and you've done it, you're doomed. And they're like, we're doomed. And he says, you've heard that it says, love your neighbor. And like, yeah, we love our neighbors, but we're scared of what's coming next. And he says, I tell you, don't just love your neighbors. I want you to love your enemies and pray for them. And they're going, oh, we're doomed. And he says, yep, you're doomed. And then he says, I have some great news. I'm here for doomed people. In fact, I'm only here for doomed people. I'm not here, here for you unless you know you're doomed. And then he says, anyone doomed? And the mistaker's like, no, that's not me. The sinner said, yeah, I admit it. I'm on the pathway to hell unless you do something, unless you save me. And so we go back to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. Before he mentions, you know, adultery and anger and lust and yes and no and loving your enemies, he makes this statement in, in verse 20, chapter, Matthew chapter 5. But I warn you, and he's talking to people who thought they were mistakers. Unless you obey God better than the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of God at all. Now, you got to understand what he's saying here. He's saying the best people you've ever seen. These were professional religious people. They were professional good people. They were actually paid money to be good. They had to be ceremonially clean so that maybe they could hear from God and they could tell the people. And he says, those people aren't good enough. They're doomed. And if you're not better than them, you're doomed. So unless you're better than the best person you've ever heard of, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the best preacher you've ever heard, unless you're better than them, you're not good enough, you're doomed. And they all said, we're doomed, we're done. Then he says, but God loves doomed people. And he didn't just say this, he modeled it. Do you remember the story where the woman was caught in adultery? I mean, caught in adultery. Caught in, I don't even have to go there. I don't wanna go there. How did they catch her? Why didn't they bring the guy? I don't know, I don't care. But they catch a woman in the act of adultery, they bring her to Jesus, they throw her at Jesus' feet because the law says, pick up rocks and stone her until she dies. That's what the law said. And they were testing Jesus. You know the story, Jesus got down, he drew in the dirt. And, and then he says, okay, the law says that whoever among you is without sin. If you're just a bunch of mistakers, you have no sin. You, because they already had the rocks. They'd, they'd condemned her. They were ready to chunk rocks at her till she died. And he says, if you are without sin, go ahead, kill her with rocks. And the Bible, this is interesting to me. The Bible says the oldest people, oldest dudes, I don't think there were any men, there, any women there. It was just dudes. The oldest guys drop their rocks and they walk away quietly. I think probably we've cut, this is my guess, it's not in the scripture. They probably realized they had so many more sins. And then the young guys start looking around, they're like, oh, if my elder has, maybe I have sinned too. And they all drop their rocks, they all walk away. And then at the end of the conversation, it's nobody but Jesus and this condemned, caught sinner. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's, it's like he's saying, honey, you're a sinner and everyone knows it. You were caught. I'm not here to condemn you. We're not going to talk about what your mama did, what your grandmama did. We're not going to talk about the fact that your daddy wasn't around to help you when you were, when you were growing up and that's why you're promiscuous. We're not going to talk about you were drunk and that's why you slept with a married man. We're not going to talk about that stuff. You're a sinner. You need to stop sinning. And oh, by the way, 
There's no condemnation when you come here. Jesus realized when he's walking on this earth that the best of the best, the religious leaders had missed it. They were doomed. And if the, the best of the best miss it and they're doomed, then you know the common folk are doomed. So Jesus tells three stories in Luke chapter 15, rapid fire. He talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and you've heard about the prodigal son, the lost son. Um, uh, in that story, the younger son comes to his dad and, he, and, and he's just blatantly honest. And he says, dad, would you hurry up and die so I can get the inheritance? So I can get my money? Dude, like, you know, I'm not getting any younger and you're certainly getting older. You won't die. Would you just get, can we pretend you're dead so I can have my inheritance? This is where J.G. Wentworth got his idea for, it's my money and I need it now. You didn't know that. That's, that's where it came from. <laughs> Everyone in Jesus' audience would have gasped because he's talking to a bunch of Jews and he says, a young man comes to his dad and says, dad, hurry up and die. But since you won't, give me my money and I'm out of your hair. And, and that was the worst thing that you could do in their society. And so what would have happened, this is a made-up story. Jesus makes up the story to teach us a spiritual truth, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, but had this happened in that society, they actually had something called a shunning ceremony where they would take a clay pot, they would have brought this, they would have drugged this young man out in the middle of the street so that everybody in the community would have seen it. Every man in the community would have gotten a clay pot, walked right up to him, smashed the clay pot, signifying that he had broken relationship with his father. And then every man, one by one, would turn his back. It was a shunning ceremony. And they were saying, we shun you right now because we can't believe what you did to your father. Not only are we going to shun you right now, we're going to shun you for the rest of your life. And they would turn their backs on him. And they would expect the father to do that too. And to their utter surprise, this father who represents God, everybody knew he was talking about God, this father gives him the inheritance. And, and they all would have gasped again, wait, 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 we should shun him. They've already condemned him. And the father gives the money. And you know the story. Son's like, I don't care, got my money. See you, chumps goes off and he wastes all the money. And, and we're told in the story by Jesus that eventually he wastes all his money so everybody leaves him. He is dirt poor. He is so poor that he goes and he starts feeding pigs. And, and pigs, pigs were unclean for Jews to even look at, much less feed. He's in the pen with them and he's so hungry that he wants their food. And Jesus tells us something, really, this is the key. Please don't miss this. He says these words. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. And he decided to go back to his father's house. Smartest decision he ever made. And everybody listening to this parable, they knew he was talking about God. And everybody listening to the parable fully expected the father to shun him. I shunned you before, I shun you again. Don't you ever come back. If you know anything about Jewish tradition, the father does something that no Jewish man would ever do in public. He hikes up his robes, which is incredibly um, looked down upon, and he runs to meet this son who said, I wish you were dead. It's a remarkable story. And even then, they're still waiting on him to shun him. And I want you to listen to the words that Jesus put into the mouths of this young man. 
the son said to him, Father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, while he was still off in the far land, while he was starving to death, he came to his senses and he said, I'm not going to say to my dad, I'm a mistaker. He started practicing. I'm going to say, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned. And he walked back the whole way saying, I have sinned. I have sinned. Can I tell you that some of you today, somebody may be listening online, you've never said those words, I have sinned. And the reason you don't feel God is because you've never admitted that. You still think you're making mistakes. This guy said, Dad, I recognize our relationship is shattered and it's shattered because of me. This, it's broken. God, I, uh, Dad, I broke the relationship. I have sinned. And then what happens next is so far beyond their capacity to understand. <laughs> Look what it says. But the father said to his servants. He didn't even address the son. The son says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I don't deserve to be your son. The father's, here's why he didn't even address his son. Don't miss this. When he said, I've sinned, he knew my son's back. He's come home. He's not making excuses. He owns it. If he'd walked in and said, sorry, even, I'm sorry. Can we all get over it? Relationship would not have been restored. But he said the magic words that allowed him to start over. I have sinned. I own the fact that our relationship is gone. And the father doesn't even address him. Look what happens. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Wait, 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 wait. Don't you want to know where he's been? Father says, nope, don't need to. Don't you want to know what he did with all your money? I don't have to. Aren't you going to shun him? Nope. Aren't you disgusted by him? Nope. Aren't you going to condemn him? Nope, don't have to. Because he's not making excuses anymore. He's owned it. So now we can be restored. And he says, for this son of mine was dead. And they're like, no, he wasn't dead. He's just over in that country. And the father says, no, he was dead to me. He had broken relationship with me by his actions. But the moment he said, I've sinned, I made him alive. That's why everybody celebrated. Never been done before. They're celebrating the restoration of a relationship that would not have been restored if the son had said, I'm just a bad money manager. I just made a few mistakes. Instead, he said, I've sinned. I've owned it. See, when you think about Jesus... And you think about coming back to him or starting over or even the very first time starting a relationship with Jesus. You have to wrestle with this word sin. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not going to get this attitude towards sin from any other world religion. We're looking at three major world religions next week. You're not going to get this from the other two world religions. You only get it from Christianity. And here's what Jesus said from his mouth. Here's what he tells us about sin. 
Acknowledging sin does not lead to condemnation. I wish I'd just put admit. Admitting sin. When you admit it, you're not condemned. Not in Christianity. In every other world religion, you're condemned. But not when it comes to the Father. Admitting sin, instead, it's, you know, it leads you home. That's, what, that's the purpose of this story. The father runs to meet him. He says, I've sinned. And he says, let's celebrate. My son was dead. He's alive. In fact, admitting sin, it's the only path to restoration. It's the only way. You've been separated from God who loves you, and the only way back is to quit making excuses, quit racking it up to the fact, I'm, I'm only human, and just look at God and say, I have sinned. And as soon as you do, God says, I'm going to give you two things that a mistaker never asks for. When you say, I've sinned, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to restore you. Now, here's, here's the truth about you. If you've never said those three words, go ahead and put that up there if you would. If you've never said those three words, I have sinned, or if at some point in your life you've walked away from God, here's the truth about you. First, you're separated from God and it's your fault. Not your mama's, not your daddy's, not your ex's, not your children. It's your fault. Next thing, you're not coming back to the Father if you think you're a mistaker. Nobody's perfect. Next one. You have to come back. The only way back is to say, I have sinned. I'm a full-blown sinner. If you ever admit that, Jesus is going to say the same thing to you. He said to that woman caught in adultery who deserved to die. He's going to say, yep, you're a sinner. Stop it. He's going to say, but there's no condemnation in my family. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. I can't tell you this strongly enough. You don't get that in any other religion. It's only in following Jesus. So, we're going to finish today with this question. Do you resist this idea that you're a sinner? And if so, why do you resist it? Why, why, are, you, why are you saying, I'm, I'm just, I just made a few mistakes? Why do you do that? When you know you've, you've done some things intentionally. You've thought some things, you've said some things, you've gone places, you've done things, knowing you knew better. If you resist the idea that you're a sinner, what does it say about you? And then last week's question, this is what I want you to talk about. If you'll talk about these things over... Lunch today, driving home, wherever you're going today. God can plant some seeds in your heart that, that begin to grow and will change your life forever and might change the destiny of your family. So you've got to ask this question, who's Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, put it in our hearts. What a loving father you are that you're just waiting for the slightest indication that we'll acknowledge our sins. And you run to us and you throw your arms around us and you welcome us into your family or you welcome us back into your family. God, today, bring somebody into the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.